So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation and mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by man whom he he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Once again, this sermon is part of the series that we've been in most of the summer on the book of Genesis. When I started that series, I said I was tempted to use a title, something along the lines of everything I needed to know I learned in Genesis. That's not strictly speaking true, so I didn't do it. But everything that I really needed to know, particularly from Scripture, finds its origin and its source in those early chapters of the book of Genesis where God made the world by the word of his power and where the Holy Spirit began to work and the Son of God, Jesus our Savior, was the one who spoke these things into being and then upheld them by the word of his power. Well, one of the things that we need to address in the context of our current culture is this aspect of racism, that ugly word that stands out there because really in terms of scripture, there should certainly be no such thing among the people of God or even among the people of the world. But if you spend any time at all these days watching, listening to, or reading sources from mainstream media, by now you probably have come to the conclusion that especially since the summer of 2020 when we had the killing of George Floyd and the riots that surrounded that in so many places all across the face of the world, that racism is literally everywhere, from the highest, loftiest halls of power to the label of your favorite pancake mix. It seems like every time we turn around, somebody's pointing a finger and somebody is shouting racist. 
One interesting form of this, at least interesting to me, because I've always been kind of a fan of J.R.R. Tolkien and his Lord of the Rings series, um, is this new series from Amazon Prime called The Rings of Power that's loosely based, and I do mean loosely, on the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien. The series advertises itself and purports to be a history of the second age of Middle-earth in the same way that the books that some of us are more familiar with told the tale of the Third Age. But in reality, what's happened is the writers of this new series have taken some characters who are familiar to those, those of us who have read the book, and they've recast them in completely different stories, stories that actually contradict what Tolkien wrote, stories that come at the world from a completely different space looking at the world not as a Christian who believes that God made all things and that God is governing all things and working in all things by the word of his power, but actually looking at a world of chaos and confusion where evil could and often does triumph. So instead of the stories that some of us might have wanted to hear, we have this dull, lifeless, tedious, self-righteous, and silly story. And of course, Amazon, who has now spent something like a billion dollars to bring this story to the screen, cannot step back and say, maybe it was just bad writing. Maybe we made a bad show. So instead of doing that, because they have cast people of color in some of these roles, they've pointed their finger and they've branded anyone who doesn't like the show as racist. That's just one example among many. We could spend the whole morning looking at the many places where people are accusing others of racism. And this resonates with what Vodi Balcom wrote in his book, Fault Lines. He wrote, today's definition of racism eschews the individualistic prescriptions of the past, arguing instead that racism is this, a far-reaching system that functions independently from the intentions or self-images of individual actors. In other words, today we have racism without racists, which is kind of like saying we have sin without sinners. But racism in the old-fashioned sense, race-based pride, hatred, prejudice, violence, and injustice. Now hear those words that I said. Pride, hatred, prejudice, violence, and injustice, even when they are based on race, are not a special kind or category of sin because of their association with that. Rather, they are all just sins in and of themselves. Hear what I'm saying. Pride is a sin. I don't care what you're proud of. Scripture says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is a sin. Hatred is a sin. I don't care who you're hating. If you are hating someone in your heart, Jesus said, that's really just the first steps and it's tantamount to murder. Prejudice. Looking at someone and passing judgment on that person, whether it's because of their race or their economic status or the language they speak or the dress that they wear, that is sinful. But all of these things are sins in and of themselves without any reference to the color of either the sinner or the one being sinned against. Because the idea of race, as we understand it, 
And I'm talking the way we understand this in the modern world, dividing people into different groups based almost solely on their physical characteristics, the color of their skin, the shape of their eyes or nose, and the texture of their hair. That idea of race is foreign to Scripture. If you ever read, it depends on the translation you're using, if you read the word race somewhere in Scripture, it's from the word geneo or genos, and it has that sense of, of generation or family line. It's not talking about the color of someone's skin. And I believe that the case could be made just from the Greek words alone, ethnos, from which we get our word ethnic or ethnicity, and genos, but our text from Acts 17 ought to be enough, especially verses 26 to 28. And he, that is the God who made the world and everything in it, he made from one man, the majority text, the, the majority of the manuscripts that we have for the New Testament reads from one blood here. He made from one man or one blood every nation. And in that word nation, we have that Greek word ethnos, from which we get our word ethnic. So it's not talking specifically in Scripture about ethnicity as in people of different colors. It's talking specifically about people who are identified with different nations or places. Obviously, in some cases, there are going to be some physical characteristics that go along with it. It doesn't matter. God made everyone all people, every nation, every ethnicity from one blood, from one man. He made every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And when it said nations, that was ethnos. And here at the end when it says, for we are indeed his offspring, and it's clearly talking about everybody, at least all of God's people, and when he says we are indeed his offspring, that is genos, it is generation. It's the word which is very occasionally translated race. We are the race of God's people. And please pay attention to what's being said there. When it comes to our humanity, and we already talked about this when we were going through Genesis chapter 1, but we're going to see it again. When it comes to our humanity, we as human beings are all the same kind. Absolutely all the same kind. There was a day when people looked at the different kinds of animals and tried to bring that over into a description of humanity and say, well, people should keep to their own kinds. That is false. It's heretical. It's wrong. As men and women and boys and girls created in the image of God, we are all the same kind. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, so God created man, mankind, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis chapter 3, Adam went on to say, 
He called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. So Adam understood in that moment when God made Eve and brought her to him and the two became one flesh, that every human being who would ever live in all of this creation would descend from those two people. Some some people are really into genealogy, tracing their family roots back. That's okay. My aunt was really interested and fascinated by that. In fact, the Bible spends quite a bit of time on it too. In the Old Testament, we find these extensive genealogies, and those genealogies are there for some specific reasons. Some of them are pointing forward toward Christ. Some are pointing backward, especially the ones we read in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah to the tribes of Israel, establishing a legitimacy to the priesthood and to the Levitical um, services. But above all, those genealogies are there to trace the line of Christ. Now, Matthew picks up those old covenant genealogies in the first chapter of his gospel, writing the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. There's a lot more names in there. But they lead eventually to verses 16 and 17. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Matthew begins with Abraham, and he works his way forward to Jesus. Now Luke, on the other hand, works backward from Jesus. In chapter 3, verses 23 to 38, he begins, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, very important words there, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. And then Luke walks back through the generations until he comes to verse 34, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Tirat, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. I almost gave that to you, Bill, but then I took pity. (laughs) I don't like reading those genealogies, and I hate to give them to others to read, but they're important. And especially this one, a couple of things here. If you've ever, in your life, been tempted to look down on another human being, to tell a joke, to insinuate something about that other human being for physical or national reasons. I want to be careful and kind here because I know this is a joke. But honest to goodness, the phrase, if you're not Dutch, you're not much, comes to mind. If you've ever said it, if you've ever thought it, if you've ever posted it on the back of your car, just stop it. Don't ever do that again, or anything like it. And I said, I know it's a joke, 
I know that it's probably rarely, I will not say never, but it is probably rarely said with intent to belittle or to put someone down. It's just a cute little saying for a bumper sticker, but stop and think for a minute about how it may have resonated with the rest of the world who are not Dutch, just saying. All the ugly isms, including racism, begin at home. And the reason that we need to put a stop to this sort of thing is because the concept of race as defined by physical characteristics is a fiction. And the concept of lording it over someone because you come from a different geographical patch in Europe or somewhere else in the world than they do is sin. Think about that genealogy of Jesus in the book of Luke. Every human family, every person sitting in this room right now, every person alive on the face of the world right now, every human genealogical line converges at Noah. Everyone. I am an American of Irish and English descent. Some of you come from other family trees that pass through different parts of continental Europe and even Africa and other parts of the world. But if we trace all of those lines back far enough, we are every one of us the sons or daughters of Noah and a thousand years before that, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You are related to every single person in this room. You are related to every single person on this planet. So on what basis would we let national origin or the color of our skin or the shape of our eyes or the texture of our hair become a reason for pride, hatred, prejudice, violence, or injustice? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if indeed you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And his point there is, why do you boast as if it wasn't just a gift, something that was handed to you that you could not make happen, did not earn, did not deserve? If you were born of Canadian descent, that's not something that you made happen. It was something that God gave to you. It's something you received. And if it's something that you received, why in the world would you boast or lord it over someone else as if it were yours by your own doing? As I said, in the end, we are all sons or daughters of Adam and Eve. And actually, that is the reason for our pride, hatred, prejudice, violence, and injustice towards one another. So our problem's not out there in the world. Some kind of a systemic problem that in the end makes literally everyone a victim and then can hold no one responsible. Our problem's here. Our problem's here in our heart and in our mind. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar. And his word is not in us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where the problem lies. 
not in structures and systems and governments and laws. It lies within our hearts, which are fallen and broken and turned toward sin. We are sons or daughters of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and this is the fruit of that family tree. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. As I said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But did you, did you notice why God made from one man or one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings? Did you notice why? When Bill read that for us a little bit earlier in the service, God did this that they should seek him, that they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And the fact of the matter is, he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And Paul went on from that point in his sermon on Mars Hill, saying, being then God's offspring, being in some sense the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. I was speaking in a time when the population was pretty homogenous, and the idolatry tended to take these very physical, very literal forms. In our day, given that everyone is in some sense, and it's not a brotherhood of man, fatherhood of God kind of sermon, but given that we all have our origins in God's creative act, we ought not think that God looks like us. If you've ever got down on your knees to pray and you were trying to sort of imagine a physical being and thinking, well, God must be kind of like that, kind of like my grandpa, kind of like Santa Claus, something. Again, don't do that, <laughs> not ever. The image of God, as we saw last week, looks like Jesus Christ. It looks like Adam before the fall. It looks like purity and holiness and righteousness and goodness and justice. And we can't remake God into an image that looks like us any more than we can make him into an image of gold or silver or stone. Paul went on to say the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He commands all of the people in all of the world, everyone that he made to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, our sins are not out there in the world waiting for a political leader or a political party to come along and to fix them by way of legislation. Our sins are in our heart and in our mind. And what we need is a savior. The world needs a savior, one who has borne the image of the man of dust just as we do, yet without sin, and one who has carried all of our sin to the cross giving himself, his body, and his blood fully for the salvation of his own. 
from every nation, ethnos, from all tribes and peoples and languages, regardless of where they come from or what they look like or what physical characteristics they carry. He gave himself for us and for our salvation. Recently, I met with another pastor. He was wearing a black T-shirt with some white printing on the front. And of course, these days, you kind of see that out of the corner of your eye and you might make some assumptions. But when I looked closer, I saw an unexpected message. His T-shirt read, One people, one race, one Savior. It's absolutely true. For God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord, though he is not far from each one of us. The answer then to pride, hatred, prejudice, violence, and injustice, even if those things are race-based, the answer is not really another addition to the judicial code and the denomination or even to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The answer to race-based pride, hatred, prejudice, violence, and injustice begins when we recognize our common origin as human beings and our common fallen nature. That fallen nature that descends to us from our first parents. And then recognizing that there is only one race and one people. Acknowledging that whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you look like, there is only one Savior. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That was the big one in the world of Paul's day. There were the Jews and there was everyone else all of the other nations, regardless of what they looked like. Paul comes along under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So lay aside pride, prejudice, hatred, vainglory, boasting, whatever it is, regardless of what it's based on, just lay it aside. Repent. Turn to him right now, right where you are. Trust in him, call on him. If you haven't done that, then do it this very morning. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what their favorite spicy food smells like, regardless of the color of their skin, how much melanin they have or do not have, regardless of the shape of their eyes or the color, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you made us from one blood, creating us by your powerful word through our first parents, Adam and Eve. And you did this, Father, so that we would seek for you, and even though our first parents turned away from you, 
and fell. Father, still you call us by your grace in Christ Jesus to come, to come to that kingdom, that body of Christ, which is made up of people who, some of them look like us, many more of them don't, because you are gathering your people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Thank you for letting us be a part of that by your grace. And Father, give us more grace that we may proclaim this message to the people around us and that, Father, we may recognize that we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.